So there's an explanation of why we're doing what we're doing. Secondly, some exhortations. It would be easy to continue all day, but I will not. So I just have four things. Some tie in what I already said about Luther's example, but just let me say them. The first exhortation is this. Trust in God and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do trust in God. Our trust is not in the wisest politicians, the wisest doctors, or the wisest bureaucrats. It's not in our country or our economy or our technology or our medicine. It is in God and in God alone. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's our help, brethren. That's our hope. Trust in God. I do, in many ways, love the American attitude. We don't lose wars, we win them. Or, we're New Yorkers, we're tough. Or, we're going to beat this thing and we're going to come through it better and stronger than we ever were. What do I love about that? I love it as a display of confidence in difficult times. I love it as a repudiation of fear, especially crippling fear. And I love it as a determination to resist evil come what may. And in in, in that way and to that degree, it is really a reflection of a very Christian attitude. Turn with me to Micah chapter 7. I'm not saying it is a Christian attitude per se, but it's a reflection of a Christian attitude in the face of an enemy, especially spiritual enemy. But let's read Micah 7, verses 7 through 10. It's one of my favorite texts when it comes to personal mortification of sin, fighting against and seeking to kill sin. Micah chapter 7, verses 7 to 10. Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see And shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mire in the streets. It's similar, isn't it? But it's not the same. But you see, he's saying, I'm going to come out of this. God is going to cause me to win. And he taunts his enemy. Don't rejoice over me, you enemy. You're going to be the one that ends up in the street. You're going to be the one that ends up in the mud with the dirt on your face. But obviously there are important things in this text that differ from the typical American can-do attitude. Humility, for instance. Here, this writer says, I'm in this mess because of my sin. That's not in the typical American can-do attitude, but that's necessary for us as God's people. 
we have to realize that this is a judgment from God, and God is not just humbling everybody else. He is humbling us. Humility. Another thing that lacks in the American can-do attitude compared to what we see in Micah here is consciousness of the sovereign providence of God. God has brought this to pass. God is humbling me for my sin. And God's hand is over everything that is happening. He's making it happen. And he will bring about the change in his good time. And he will bring me out into the light in his good time. And he will cause righteousness and truth and his people to triumph in the long run. And then, of course, the other thing that's here that's not in that American uh, um, uh, philosophy and idealism is trust in God. The, the, The prophet here is saying he only believes this is going to happen and he only is confident because of God and God alone. He trusts in God. His attitude is what Jesus said. It's only if we abide in him and because we abide in him that we will do well because apart from him we can do nothing. Let's not be afraid, but let's not be afraid because we trust in God. Second, be kind and sensitive. I'm thinking especially of the passage of Romans chapter 14. When we have a spectrum of people, in our church we certainly do, we certainly do have a spectrum of people in the way they look at this whole thing, in the way it's being handled by the government, in the way what uh, they think we should conduct ourselves as a church and they should conduct themselves in their individual and family lives. Maybe your attitude is, I don't need to wear a mask. Not going to wear one of those things. But what if someone needs help and you're the person who can help and you have to go over to their house like Luther talked about and someone asks you, would you mind wearing a mask when you come into my house? Do you have Paul's attitude? If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. I hope you do. I hope you will. Third, we should seek unity. We should seek unity in our church. As I said, we have different views, different opinions. One of my fellow elders sent me something from Jonathan Edwards from his farewell sermon. He left in the midst of controversy and he wrote to his people, however wrong you may think others have been, and he was especially addressing those who agreed with him. However wrong you may think others have been, maintain with great diligence and watchfulness a Christian meekness and gentleness of spirit and labor in this respect to excel those who are of a contrary spirit. And this will be the best victory. For he that rules his spirit is better than he that takes a city. Let nothing be done through strife or conceit. Indulge no revengeful spirit in any case, but watch and pray against it. And by all means in your power, seek the prosperity of this town. And never think you behave yourselves as becomes Christians, except when you sincerely, sensibly, and fervently love all men. Whatever party or opinion And whether friendly or unkind, just or injurious, to you or your friends, or to the cause and kingdom of Christ. May God help each one of us to have that attitude and seek unity 
in that way. Isn't it one of the best things we're seeing right now is people working together and people who don't agree with each other and are usually at each other's throats actually commending one another? That's one of the sad things that we'll say we'll hate to see go, but it will We should seek unity in our church and in our society. As Edward said, even seek the good of this town to his people. We're fighting a virus together. When you link arms, I only mean figuratively, with your townsfolk and the people in your neighborhood at this point in time, don't worry that you're being unequally yoked. That is not what Paul was talking about. You are just being biblically loving. Seek unity. Fourth, fourth and final exhortation here, serve one another. Many opportunities have already arisen. Many will arise. Volunteer if you're able. Some people are out of work right now. If you're one of those people and you're a member of the church, let the deacons know that you're available, even if they can just note that that you could get a call to do something or to help someone with something or take something somewhere. Serve one another. And not just members of the body of Christ. Look out in your neighborhoods and around about you and seek to serve the people around us in wise and God-honoring ways. Those are my exhortations. I close with three spiritual lessons from this natural phenomenon. Three spiritual lessons from this natural phenomenon. The coronavirus is a natural phenomenon. Of course, it has been sent by God, but it's not a miraculous thing. It's true of everything in the natural realm. It's been sent by God. In that sense, it's a providence of God. God has sent it, and in that sense, it's a judgment of God. But it's a natural phenomenon. So I'm taking the example of someone like James in his book. He talks, he uses these natural phenomena to give spiritual lessons, doesn't he? He talks about a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind as an example of a spiritual reality. A flower of the field that passes away. Bits in horses' mouths. Ships that are turned by a very small rudder. A little fire that kindles a great forest. You know the, you know what I'm talking about. So here are three lessons from this natural phenomenon. The first one is this. A virus is like sin. It's small. It's invisible. It's treacherous and sinister. And it's dangerous. It spreads easily too. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.33, evil company corrupts good habits. Too many professing Christians or children of Christians think that, well, I'll just go and hang out with those ungodly people because my good behavior will easily spread to them. No. So if you're a well person, your wellness will not be easily spread to people who are sick with this virus. And that's what Paul says, and that's what the whole Bible says. Solomon says that in warning his son. Don't go with those people. Why? Because evil company corrupts good habits. It spreads easily. And it's difficult. This is another point of similarity. It's difficult to refrain from doing things that spread the virus, isn't it? Such as touching your face. 
almost have to laugh at how many times I've seen people give important announcements about not doing that and then rubbing their eyes or coughing in their hand or whatever. It's difficult. So is it to stay away from sin and to combat sin and keep from spreading sin more within your own self or to others. But thankfully, we're seeing people make the effort to do that here against the coronavirus. Maybe you're one of those people who is taking great pains in that regard. You're washing your hands a hundred times a day. You have a box of latex gloves that you're taking everywhere with you in case you need to go out and touch someone or give something to someone. Fine. But shame on you if you are more concerned about COVID-19 than you are about the sins that dwell in your breast. Shame on you. Shame on you if you are more fearful about contracting this virus and especially if you are doing all kinds of things to keep yourself and your family clear from that virus and you are, practically speaking, not lifting a finger to put to death the most deadly enemy that you have, and that is the sin that dwells in your soul. God help you. Sometimes that kind of thing does happen even with true Christians. It shouldn't happen, but maybe it has happened in your life at this point in time. And if it has, today is the day for you to recognize that and admit it before God and repent of it. The Bible does say, doesn't it, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And you might say, well, this is really a judgment of God on the earth because of all the wickedness that goes on in high places, in politics, in universities, with all the atheism, the evolutionary thought that's being promoted in our day and age. God is really judging this world. Remember what Scripture says. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It will be worse for those outside of the kingdom of God. But God does things for not just the rest of the world. He does it for us. And maybe he's doing this for you so that you would hear my my words this morning and whatever you are doing that you should not be doing as a professing Christian, God is saying to you through my words right now, stop it. And whatever you're not doing to fight against those sins, and you are doing a lot to fight against the little bitty coronavirus, step it up where you should be fighting with your greatest powers and energy and attention and prayers. Step it up. It was alluded to earlier how God has wheels within wheels in his providences and how he accomplishes so many things when he does just one unusual thing in the world. And there's so much fallout and so many people are affected. Well, here God has 
given us something that has affected all the world, but to think of all the different ways that God can work and that God is working. And perhaps this is the purpose of coronavirus to you, for you, to arrest you from going down a course that could lead to you walking down the broad way that leads to destruction. May that be that if you're on such a path, potentially, that God will turn you back today. So the first thing is a virus is like sin. Secondly, we desire a cure for a harmful virus. We want a cure for this. We wish we had one yesterday. Imagine that you're diagnosed with coronavirus and it's severe. And a cure is discovered or developed by the end of March. And there's no other cure. Nothing else is working and everything else fails. And then that cure is offered to you Well, if you refuse it and say, I think I'll try something else, the Bible has a four-letter word for you. It's a fool. Well, listen. There is one and only one surefire cure for the disease of sin, and that's Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for sinners. When Jesus healed lepers during the course of his earthly life and ministry, he was teaching about something. And he wasn't just teaching that he has more power than disease. That was one of the things he was teaching. But he was also teaching this, a little bit more intricate lesson that was seen there. He was teaching that like the disease of leprosy that is deadly and that is ugly, he was teaching that's what sin is like. And if you are just left to your sin, just like a person being left to, dead, to, to um, the disease of leprosy, you're going to die. You're going to die of that disease. You're going to die of that sin. You're going to go to hell. And Jesus was saying, but there is someone here who can arrest that disease. It was Jesus Christ. And his point was not just that if you're a leper, he could heal you. His point is that he can heal you for all of your sins. And if you're listening to my voice now, he can heal you of your sin. And he alone can heal you of your sin. And you need to avail yourself of his salvation. And the way you do that is by repenting of your sins, looking at them as a terrible disease that will kill you if you don't turn from it, and that Christ alone can heal you of, and then casting yourself on his mercy and asking him to forgive all your sins and to wash you and make you white as snow morally. And the gospel message is that if you do that, he will wash you and make you whiter than snow. And I urge you to come to him in faith today. And then the third and final thing, final spiritual lesson to be drawn from this natural phenomenon And it's this, one day this virus will be gone. We are such softies in our world right now. My wife and I have been using some of the time of the evenings together to watch some documentaries on World War II. And we are soft people. But... It is a comforting thing, even though it's only been like a week or two that we've been cloistering ourselves the way we have. 
it's a pleasant thought to think that one day there's going to be a deliverance from these measures that we're undergoing right now. And from every measure that we're presently taking, on a regular basis anyway, to stay away from coronavirus. And I like to stop and think sometimes during the day, imagine the rejoicing that there's going to be, the sense of release, the celebrating when that happens. I, just, I can remember after one week of no airplanes in the sky, how wonderful it was after 9-11 to see that first jet and to see those first contrails and hear the roar of that jet engine going overhead, even though it prevented uh, the people from able to, being able to hear me in our church building in Minneapolis. It was a wonderful thing. Well, brethren, one day there will be a deliverance from sin and from every measure we need to take to combat sin. That will be a day of rejoicing. That will be a day of release and of celebration and freedom. Yes, it'll be a happy time when the schools reopen, when travel resumes, when baseball returns. That'll be a happy thing. When the restaurants open, When weddings happen, I'm looking forward to it. I can be brought to tears thinking about that. But now, brethren, multiply that sense of anticipation and joy thousands of times, ten thousands times ten thousands, and think of that day when Jesus Christ will come, and you will not be separated from your brethren, and you will not be having to take measures to battle against sin that are so humbling and so painful and so difficult to keep up day after day after day. Imagine that day. One of the hymns you have that was recommended for your reading and singing at home is this. I'll quote from it and then we're done. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon to faithful warriors comes their rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Alleluia, Alleluia. Brethren, for a little bit of time, we won't see each other's faces, we won't know each other's embraces, we won't hear each other's singing. But the day is coming when we'll be back in this room And we'll enjoy those things as we've never enjoyed them before. But think during this time of that far more, that yet far more glorious day that is coming. May God help us and bless us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and ask that you would help us in our understanding at these difficult times. Lord, especially when we think of how a week from now we might be saying things that are very different from what we're saying today and doing things that are very different. Help us, O God, in the midst of such trial. Help us not to be navel gazers and be only concerned about our our own present discomfort. 
Help us not to think woe is us because no one has ever experienced such things as we are. Help us, Father, to think biblically. Help us to look to our neighbors around us and love them and help us above all to see that we aim to obey God and not men for your glory and honor. And we ask these things and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.